Welcome back to Read and Succeed. I'm your host, Dave Campbell, here on your community radio station, 106.5 FM, WFMPLP Louisville. Finishing up our summer reading, reviewing the 2021 winner of the United Kingdom's International Booker Prize, At Night, All Blood is Black, by French Senegalese novelist David Jopp. Great episode. Stay tuned. Goodman, host of Democracy Now! Greetings to all Democracy Now! listeners on Pacifica Affiliate Forward Radio 106.5 FM, WFMP LP in Louisville, Kentucky. This grassroots community radio station relies on volunteer power and your financial support to continue broadcasting the progressive, national, and homegrown local programming you've come to expect from Forward Radio. At a time when our public airwaves are being gobbled up by corporate interests, here's an open mic dedicated to local voices, civic engagement, and community empowerment. Please go to forwardradio.org and pledge your generous support today. Thank you so much. Welcome to episode 23 of Read and Succeed, wasting no time completing our summer reading program, reviewing At Night, All Blood is Black. American translator Anna Moskovakis is absolutely haunting 2020 English rendering of French Senegalese novelist David Jopp's 2018 French work, Frère Dom, translated literally, Soul Brother winner of the 2018 Students' Goncourt Prize in France, and winner of the 2021 International Booker Prize in the United Kingdom. We'll use this text narrative of the complete moral, psychological, and spiritual disintegration of a black Senegalese rifleman serving in the white French army in the trenches of World War I and all the colonial and racial implications therein to transition into more current nonfiction in early fall with the 2021 Pulitzer Prize winners, Wilmington's Lie, The Murderer's Coup of 1898, and The Rise of White Supremacy by American journalist David Zucchino for episode 24, and Franchise, The Golden Arches in Black America by Georgetown University African American Studies professor Dr. Marcia Chaitlin for episode so 25. Before any of that, however, a small bit of housekeeping and stewardship. If you enjoy the program and you hear on Read and Succeed or Forward Radio, please consider supporting the station and community radio in general by making a tax-deductible donation as part of your future financial plans. For a $20 donation, you essentially fund an entire day's worth of broadcasting. For a $50 donation, you essentially fund one hour per week of broadcasting for an entire year. Community radio is and will always be supported by and delivered back to the community itself. For more information on making this community investment, please visit forwardradio.org. Also visit readandsucceed.net to access archived episodes of our shows and to stay informed about upcoming episodes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us on YouTube. This is Read and Succeed. I'm Dave Campbell. This next segment is a February 2021 interview with French Senegalese novelist and academic David Jopp about his 2021 winner of the prestigious International Booker Prize in the United Kingdom, At Night All Blood is Black. Translated into English by American translator Anna Moskovakis. The moderator for this event is University of Oxford Professor of French Literature, Dr. Catriona Seth. The host organization for this discussion is the Maison Française de Oxford, a joint research center between the University of Oxford and the University of Paris, integrating French scholarship in the humanities and social sciences into the larger English-speaking world. The text itself under discussion, At Night All Blood is Black in English, or Frère Dom in the original French, is almost mind-boggling in its brevity, its brutality, and ultimately in its literary beauty. 
telling the story of Senegalese infantryman Alpha Ndai and his comrade Adembe Diop, both navigating the internal and external ravages of warfare, serving in a colonial African unit for the French army in the trenches of World War I. With his quote-unquote sole brother and Dembe at his side, Alpha maintains at least the semblance of a grip on his own humanity. When Ndembe dies at Alpha's side at the hands of German artillery in no man's land, however, Alpha's now lost humanity explodes in every direction, sinking into a bloody, decadent spectacle of racism, revenge, lust, self-hatred, and self-harm that challenges then and very much still existing French notions of the stoic, emotionally, culturally, and linguistically primitive French-African colonial subject as a quiet, voluntary, and dutiful auxiliary in white European ambitions. The literary result is the implosion of one fictional black man that shook the entirety of the 21st century French colonial thought process at its very foundations. Special thanks to the Maison Francais d'Oxford for making this content available to the public. To learn more about the MFO, please visit mfo.web.ox.ac.uk. To learn more about Read and Succeed, please visit readandsucceed.net and enjoy this interview. Hello um, to you all from virtual Oxford. We're going to be spending time talking with two people, two people who in reality have never met, and we're going to be allowing them to meet virtually. They've never met, and yet they have a lot in common. They have a book in common. That book is Frère Dame. It's by David Diop. And we have David and his translator, Anna, in conversation with us today. And I'd like to start by bringing on Anna, since she has come um, virtually from further away than anyone else. Anna, thank you. It's wonderful to have you. Anna, you are a translator. You're a translator and also um, a teacher. Can you tell us a little bit, firstly, about how you came to become a translator? And then we will talk specifically um, about David's book. Sure. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for having me. I'm really, um, really looking forward to this conversation and to hearing David read and discuss the book, um, which I adore. Um, I really, really loved every part of, of working on this translation. Um, I am a writer who teaches writing, so I don't want to overstate the, the teaching part, although I, I have been teaching creative writing for a long time um, and sometimes translation. And um, I, I sort of fell into translation. I grew up in a, in a household that had two languages, although French was not one of them, Greek was, um, and I only ever half learned it. So I was always sort of surrounded by the, the edges between comprehending, not comprehending, you know, fluency, semi-fluency. And um, I think that sort of was in the background of it. But once, once I, and then I just sort of fell into learning French and went and lived in, in France a couple of times in my twenties. So combining those two things with being, uh, I also studied philosophy and just was interested in language. And uh, so I sort of had a, a, an opportunity to do a little bit of translation for a, a job I had in my twenties and I liked it. And then I, I just kind of pursued it whenever I had a chance. So it's been sort of a, a second, second um, profession this whole time. And I feel incredibly fortunate that that happened. And can you tell us a little bit, um, Frère Dame, which we're going to be talking about, David's book, is the fifth book you've translated, I believe. Yes, I think so, right? yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what, you, what you've done so far, what you, what you did before um, in terms of translating? Sure. After I did this, this small piece, which was a, an essay by Elie Faure, which 
uh, came out in a tiny book in like the early 90s. Um, I fell in love with Claude Cahan, uh, uh, the writings of Claude Cahan, who is um, a surrealist um, woman, uh, photographer, activist and writer, and um, who had written a, a, a very large book of sort of reflections and poetry and unclassifiable texts. And I fell in love, I discovered it through, um, through a theater friend who was doing a theater piece um, and translated the whole thing, not knowing, thinking, and then I'll publish it maybe or something. And, and then at the end of this year or two year long process of translating this in my you know, spare time, um, I, I discovered that someone else had just finished a translation that was being published in, in the UK. So I sort of taught myself to translate um, with a poem by a, or a, a long book by a dead author, which never saw the light of day. And after that, I was just very fortunate to, to have a few other incredible, um, uh, I've, I've translated a, a, a book by um, Annie Arnaud and one by Albert Cossery and uh, a book by Georges Simenon. Um, I should say that these all came to me. I, I chose the Cahan to work on, but then I needed I needed work and I started accepting jobs sort of for hire and that's sort of how my translation career has proceeded. So I've just been very fortunate that certain editors I've worked with keep an eye out for things they think I'll, I'll like. Um, and more, uh, I, I did a, um, a large book of uh, interviews with Brasson, um, Robert Brasson recently, that was the one right before this one. And um, yeah, uh, many others, <laughs> small things too. Brilliant, well, that's, that's quite exciting. And I think um, interesting for some of the people who'll be listening to us who may have some ambition to go into uh, literary mm -hmm. translating. Um, and I'd like to talk to you a bit about how you came to translate David's book. I, uh, I, I have to make a full confession, which is that I've known David for a very long time uh, because we were students together. Um, and I was once in Paris and just buying up some contemporary fiction as I often do when I uh, go to bookshops in Paris before I get back to Oxford. And I saw this book by David Diop and I thought, oh, is this the David Diop with whom I was a student? And I picked it up and I thought, yeah, I'll buy it with all the others. And I found, you know, it was an absolutely fantastic book. I was enchanted by it. Um, it's extraordinary. I think a really, really remarkable book. Um, so you, is, is this a book you chose or is this a book you were asked to translate? So, yeah, this is, um... Well, first, just a very short side note to, to if there are um, translators in the audience or people interested in going into it. Um, I, I do have another, another um, hat that I wear as a publisher and editor with Ugly Duckling Press, which publishes lots and lots of translations, almost all of which come from the translators to us as proposals. Um, so it does work both ways. Um, in this case, it was uh, Jeremy Davies, an editor at, at the time at Farrar, Strauss and Giroux, who this is gonna sound really obnoxious and this is never how anything has happened to me, but I ran into him at a literary party that I was at because a friend of mine was <laughs> receiving an award. And, um, and I hadn't seen, I'd known him vaguely a couple of, you know, 10 years before um, through, through being a publisher actually myself. And um, anyway, and we just were talking at this party and he said, I just read this, you know, are you translating still? And I said, yeah, you know, I just sort of, uh, I'd finished this person and I'm sort of not sure what's next. And, um, and I'm, said, I'm sort of looking for a project. And then two weeks later, he you know, emailed me and said, I just, I, I really want to do this book. And what do you think? And the minute I really, by the first page, I thought, 
if I'm up to the task, I want to translate this book. I mean, I just loved, loved the language and, and everything about it. For those who joining us, this is a February 2021 interview with French Senegalese author Mr. David Jop and his English translator Miss Anna Moskovakis, both winners of the United Kingdom's 2021 International Booker Prize for his 2020 novel, At Night All Blood is Black. The moderator for this interview is Dr. Catriona Seth from Oxford University. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Great, thank you. So, welcome also to our second guest, David Diop, who's joining us from France. Great to see you, David. So, here is Anna, who, like me, um, adored your book and has just been telling us about how lucky she was to be asked to translate it. And before we uh, go any further, just to say to people in the audience, some of this may be bilingual. There may be bits in French and bits in English. Um, and so, David, tu veux peut-être te présenter brièvement en français Bon, mais écoute, euh, Catriona, je te remercie déjà de m'avoir invité. Euh, je, je suis très heureux de pouvoir rencontrer la traductrice de Frères d'âme grâce à toi. C'est une occasion euh, assez extraordinaire de se retrouver entre la France, l'Angleterre et les États-Unis. Euh, et ça, c'est une initiative... Euh, que, que j'apprécie beaucoup. Donc je suis, tu le sais, 18e-iste, Catriona, nous nous sommes connus sur les bancs de la Sorbonne il y a quelques années. Il y a quelques années. <rire> Et donc je suis un néo-romancier, donc je suis connu pour avoir écrit Frère d'âme, c'est un fait d'armes, j'ose dire, si j'ose dire, puisque... Euh, j'ai pu avoir la chance d'avoir été traduit euh, euh, par Anna euh, aux éditions euh, Farastros et Girin à, à New York. Euh, et pourquoi Parce que j'ai eu la chance d'obtenir des, des prix, euh, un prix Goncourt des lycéens en France en, en 2018. Voilà, donc c'est ce que je pourrais dire pour me présenter rapidement. The translation is Mr. Giop introduces himself in French, says he's finally happy to meet his English translator of At Night, All Blood is Black, Miss Anna Moskovakis, face-to-face, even if online. He says he remembers meeting the moderator, Dr. Catriona Seth, when they were students at the University of Paris, also known as the Sorbonne, many years ago. Above all, he says he identifies as a novelist, and he considers himself only known for his text. Things he is proud of are having been published by the prestigious publishing house Farrar, Strauss, and Giraud in New York City, and having won the prestigious Prix Goncourt de la Seine's for at Night All Blood is Black in France, roughly translated as the Goncourt Prize for high school students, France's second-tier literary award behind the Goncourt Prize itself, which is the French equivalent of the Man Booker Prize in the United Kingdom, or the Pulitzer Prize or National Book Awards in the United States. Merci, David. David, première réaction à t'entendre en anglais. Dr. Seth asked David what his reaction was to hearing his works written and read in English for the first time. Mais écoute, je suis très impressionné parce que ce qui était vraiment important pour moi dans l'écriture de ce texte, c'était d'avoir un rythme particulier, un rythme de, de, dans la langue française pour suggérer que cette langue était habitée par une autre langue, une autre langue qui est africaine, en l'occurrence le Wolof. Et pour avoir cette, ce rythme-là, j'ai travaillé sur euh, le, la répétition, sur euh, la reprise de, de certaines formules comme euh, par la vérité de Dieu. Et c'était justement pour que le lecteur francophone 
comprenne bien qu'il y avait un personnage qui pensait dans une langue euh, différente du français. Et là, en entendant Anna et en entendant sa traduction, je vois bien qu'elle a, elle a réussi à traduire ce rythme-là très particulier. Et, et donc, j'en suis extrêmement heureux. Pour moi, c'est vraiment un gage, euh, le gage d'une très bonne traduction. Mr. Diop states that he was very impressed with Anna's capturing of the intrinsically rhythmic, repetitive nature of the text, which was very important to him. When he wrote the text in French, he wanted it to pace along at a distinctly non-French cadence, given that the main character, a French colonial soldier from Senegal, most likely thought in the West African native language of Wolof. He wanted the reader to feel the tone of the character to be one of an inner language inhabiting an outer language. It was a predetermined literary formula that he developed, and he felt Anna's translation captured it beautifully. For those who joining us, this is a February 2021 interview with French Senegalese author Mr. David Jop and his English translator Miss Anna Moskovakis, both winners of the United Kingdom's 2021 International Booker Prize for his 2020 novel At Night All Blood is Black. The moderator for this interview is Dr. Catriona Seth from Oxford University. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Merci beaucoup. I, can I say one thing? Um, I don't know if I should speak in English or French, but I just listened to the beginning of the audiobook, which the actor uh, Dion Graham reads, and it's unbelievable. He does such a good job. So I, I wish I could speak in his voice. Non, c'était vraiment très bien, Anna, vraiment. Parce qu'il n'y a pas de meilleur lecteur qu'un tra qu traducteur ou qu'une traductrice, je pense. Mr. Diop states that the translator is always the best reader of a text. It's a very close reading, the act of translation, it's sure. <laughs> and on translating, um, déjà, David, je voudrais que tu dises deux mots du titre, de ce titre, Frère d'âme. Tu parlais des répétitions, de ces, de ces locutions qui reviennent, etc. Tu as choisi oui. le titre Frère d'âme. Qu'est-ce que tu peux en dire? Et ensuite, on interrogera Anna sur son choix de titre aussi. Dr. Seth has David his thoughts on the choice of the French title of the book, Frère d'âme literally translated as soul brother, loosely translated as brother in arms. Alors, euh, j'ai choisi euh, ce titre parce qu'en français, on peut jouer sur, sur une, une autre expression, frère d'armes. Euh, j'ai tenu à ce que le titre soit au singulier, parce que c'est une clé de lecture aussi du roman, euh, parce que, bon, je ne sais pas si je peux le dire, mais en fait, euh, le personnage peut-être est double, on ne sait pas trop à la fin. Donc le singulier pour moi était extrêmement important. Mais pour faire la transition avec la réponse que va te donner peut-être Anna, euh, il a, ce titre n'a pas, euh, pas, pas, pas été choisi immédiatement. Il y a eu des discussions avec mon éditeur, les éditions du Seuil, euh, donc à Paris, qui euh, n'ont pas immédiatement pensé choisir le titre que je leur proposais. Et il y a eu euh, une discussion, et moi j'avais pensé à euh, La nuit tous les sens en noir, ainsi qu'un des, qu des éditeurs en fait, du, du livre euh, en français. Et finalement, après avoir longuement discuté avec le comité euh, le comité de lecture, ils sont revenus au titre que j'ai proposé. Donc c'est toi au départ qui avais proposé Frère d'âme, c'était ton premier choix. Exactement, mais il y a eu dans l'air euh, mm -hmm. la nuit, les sens en noir. 
D'accord, oui, parce qu'une petite note pour les, les, les spectateurs, en France, légalement, le titre appartient à l'éditeur. Donc, c'est l'éditeur qui peut choisir et l'imposer à son auteur. Donc, en général, il y a des négociations qui, voilà. visiblement, ont abouti à quelque chose de tout à fait convenable dans le cas de David, mais ce n'est pas toujours le cas. Mr. Diop says he wanted the title to have a very singular quality with a focus on the word brother, the core relationship in the work. The title was chosen after many, many discussions with the French editors. The title, At Night, All Senses Are Black, and French actually came up with the publishers, but Soul Brother was eventually the final decision. Dr. Seth injects that people need to remember that in France, the title of a literary work is actually the intellectual property of the publisher and not the author. So, Anna, you went for something which is close to what the title almost became in French. It's so interesting to hear that. Um, I really prefer to... Preserve, preserve the title as much as one can preserve um, in translation and have often with other books argued to, to sort of try to keep the original title and sometimes I've won and sometimes I've lost because changing the, the title of translations is quite common for marketing purposes. But in this case, I, I tried and I tried to think about a way to, to, to approximate the wordplay and it just, there was no way. And, you, and, and the literal translation, soul brother, had so many connotations in English that had nothing to do with the book that, uh, or, or would, would be adding um, so much to the book that we all thought that was not gonna work. So um, the editor and I made a list of alternative titles and um, not knowing that, you know, this is the first I've heard that that was already in the air for the French edition. But after we had our list of titles and we were kind of staring at them. And one of those titles was At Night All Blood is Black. And then we saw that the German edition or some other edition had chosen that title. And so we thought, well, mm -hmm. let's propose that because we assumed that it had already sort of um, been approved by the author and the French publishers. And so I think it was quite smooth after that. I like it as a title a lot. And if you're going to change change a title straight, like going to something very, very different makes just as much sense as trying to like cue, you know, closely, but, but lose all the, all the richness, you know? I, I, I think that's, that's very um, convincing, uh, Anna, I agree. Um, there was no way of having the same play on words or the same connotations, which David um, has pointed out, um, there are in Frère Dame. And it's really interesting that you should have met his one of his um, potential titles uh, on the way past and i think we can we can say also um quickly the the translation is not only a beautiful translation in textual terms it's a beautiful book also um it's it's a really lovely object so uh it's a very pleasing um translation in in, in many ways for those who's joining us this is a february 2021 interview with french senegalese author mr david Jop and his english translator miss anna moscovacus both winners of the united kingdom's 2021 international booker prize for his 2020 novel at night all blood is black the moderator for this interview is dr Catriona seth from oxford university to listen to this entire interview please visit readandsucceed.net um i'd like to get back to talking um right now david est-ce que tu peux nous dire quelques mots sur l'origine de ce texte Donc, tu le dis, tu es un primo-romancier. Euh, tu as écrit ce texte dans lequel tu, tu te mets dans la tête d'un homme, d'un combattant de la guerre. Est-ce que tu peux nous dire comment tu es, es venu l'idée de, de ce personnage et de ce livre Dr. Seth asked Mr. Diop if he could talk about the origins of the text. He is not a warfighter, but he put himself into the darkest experiences and recesses of the mind of a warfighter. 
Where did the character of Alpha and Die come from? Um, on sait, on s'est déjà vu Catriona um, à Oxford et j'avais répondu à une question approchante d'une certaine façon. Et depuis, j'ai évolué. Non pas que je ne t'ai pas dit l'exacte vérité la fois précédente, mais à, à, à force d'y réfléchir, je suis revenu peut-être à une réponse plus plus intime et plus essentielle que celle que j'avais pu te donner. Euh, en fait, j'ai un, un grand-père, ma mère est française, et mon arrière-grand-père était poilu. Euh, donc il a fait euh, la Première Guerre mondiale, il a été euh, gazé au gaz moutarde, à l'hypérite, et euh, je me suis rendu compte que euh, j'ai toujours été extrêmement attiré par tout ce qui avait trait à la Première Guerre mondiale, parce que je, cet homme-là, qui est donc mon arrière-grand-père, du côté maternel, n'a jamais rien dit de ce qu'il avait vécu pendant cette guerre-là. Comme beaucoup de soldats, il a été traumatisé, je pense, par ce qu'il a vu, ce qu'il a vécu, il a été gravement, grièvement blessé, et il n'a jamais expliqué ce qu'il avait vécu. Moi, je ne l'ai pas connu, mais ma mère ne l'a pas pas entendu parler de ce qu'il avait vécu. Et, et donc, je me suis imaginé euh, que peut-être cet homme-là, qui n'avait rien dit, avait pu rencontrer un tirailleur sénégalais. Parce que du côté de mon père, évidemment, je suis d'origine sénégalaise. Et euh, j'ai réfléchi, euh, finalement, depuis très longtemps, j'avais ce sujet en moi, et l'étincelle, ça a été la lecture de lettres écrites par des poilus, qui euh, traduisait ou qui révélait une intimité très profonde avec la guerre. Et euh, j'ai été très touché par ces lettres et je me suis dit, euh, eh bien, pourquoi ne pas essayer de trouver des lettres écrites par des tirailleurs sénégalais Et tout cela, toutes ces recherches, en fait, elles étaient animées par cette volonté de substituer euh, une émotion, une parole à du silence qui avait régné sur cette période-là dans ma famille, euh, pendant, qui a régné euh, après le retour de, de cet homme, de cet arrière-grand-père. Et euh, j'ai cherché des lettres, et, et ces lettres de tirailleurs sénégalais étaient très impersonnelles. Et donc, euh, j'ai imaginé, parce que j'étais animé par cette volonté de dire des choses qui étaient qui avait été passé sous silence, et puis peut-être aussi d'imaginer ce qu'avaient pu vivre ces tirailleurs sénégalais d'un point de vue émotionnel aussi, comme ce qu'avaient vécu les poilus et qui avaient raconté leur guerre et leur intimité avec cette guerre, je me suis dit, je vais inventer une lettre écrite par un tirailleur sénégalais. Mais j'ai changé d'avis parce que j'ai voulu que ce tirailleur ne sache pas parler le français. Donc ça rejoint une des questions que tu m'as posées précédemment sur le rythme du français. Euh, j'ai voulu que cet homme-là, comme beaucoup de poilus, et dont mon arrière-grand-père, qui était euh, un artisan qui venait de la campagne des Landes du sud-ouest de la France, eh bien, euh, finalement, euh, lui, il vient d'Afrique et soit comme cet arrière-grand-père, un paysan, en fait, et, euh, et découvre une guerre qui était une guerre qui, a, qui était une guerre usinière, comme disait Blaise Sandras, une guerre industrielle. Et donc, qui a haché menu euh, la nature, euh, qui, qui dévastait les arbres, qui retournait la terre. 
Et, et, et donc, ce n'était pas simplement un tirailleur sénégalais que je voulais voir là, mais aussi un paysan africain et qui ne sache pas parler le français. Donc, tout ça a fait que j'ai choisi un psychorécit. C'est-à-dire que euh, ça m'a permis de, de, de faire irruption dans les pensées extrêmement intimes d'un soldat et de son rapport très intime avec la guerre. Euh, et, et en fait, c'est un choix progressivement qui s'est dessiné par défaut. Parce que dans le fond, au départ, je voulais que ce soit un écrivain en français, comme il y a eu des tirailleurs sénégalais qui parlaient extrêmement bien le français et qui ont écrit de belles lettres. Mais c'était des lettres impersonnelles, donc comme je l'ai dit. Et je voulais quelqu'un qui, qui ait vécu la guerre dans sa chair et qui, qui, qui la pense, cette guerre, à l'intérieur de lui-même et que nous fassions, nous, lecteurs, irruption dans son intériorité, comme par effraction, en fait. Mr. Giappi, who is interracial, says that, interestingly enough, his French mother's grandfather fought in the First World War and was gassed with mustard gas. He says he was always fascinated by the fact that the men who fought in World War I, one of the worst wars ever, men like his great-grandfather, simply never talked about it. The physical traumas and injuries they endured were there for the whole world to see, but the psychological and spiritual traumas were deeply hidden and invisible. He says even his mother told him she never knew what exactly happened to her grandfather in the war. David imagined, simply for a creative thought exercise, his French great-grandfather meeting a Senegalese soldier on his African father's side and what that exchange would have entailed. He also states that when he came across a collection of war letters written by white French soldiers in the trenches of World War I, as part of this thought exercise, the raw intimacy of the correspondence caused him to seek out the war letters of the Senegalese French soldiers in the same trenches, which surprisingly turned out to be very impersonal and almost non-existent, fusing the character of the assumedly stoic Senegalese with the emotional passions of the white French soldier, filled in all these silent spaces for him for his grandfathers on both sides. He also says a common theme in both of their experiences, be it real or hypothetical, would have been the earthiness of both of their rural backgrounds, and their very souls being violated by the industrial madness and destruction of the front lines of World War I. Both, he creatively assumed, would constantly be fighting a war within themselves to stay sane and to stay human. For those who's joining us, this is a February 2021 interview with French Senegalese author Mr. David Diop and his English translator Miss Anna Moskovakis, both winners of the United Kingdom's 2021 International Booker Prize for his 2020 novel, At Night All Blood is Black. The moderator for this interview is Dr. Catriona Seth from Oxford University. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Merci, David. And Anna, um, David has just said that he tried to find the documents which didn't exist, in a sense, before he, he wrote the book. Do you, as a translator, tend to go and look for sort of peripheral documents to try and learn a bit more about the period um, in, for, for a novel like this, which is based um, within a particular type of society and at a particular um, very well-defined moment in history? The answer would be yes and no. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I don't have, um, I, I really, I'm not a scholar and my hesitation, um, which I did have, though I was very excited to translate this book was that I wasn't an expert I, I, um, at all, um, nor did I know a lot, though I happen to have a good friend who's, um, who, who does, and that was helpful. <laughs> um, but, But yeah, so of course I familiarized myself um, with the history as much as I could, but I also really did, did in this case rely, I think a lot 
on the fact that I had access to David and could and could ask um, and make sure that I that I was doing his book the the, the service that I wanted to to do and to trust um, he had done that research and I mean that may sound like laziness and it may reflect a certain amount of of um, of uh, understanding that whatever research I could do in the months between accepting the job and translating would not be sufficient to, to sort of make me confident that I wasn't going to mess up. I mean, translation is always the, the fear of and the certainty of making mistakes in every way. So I, in this case, I did sort of what I felt. I, I reached out to some friends who knew more than I did and had conversations with them. Um, and in specific cases where I had a question about a term or a, or a, there was something that I thought, oh, this must be, you know, um, this must, must be referring to a whole body of knowledge that I, that I don't know about. I, I sought out people who could help me, but, um, but mostly I trusted the language and I trusted the storytelling and I trusted the, um, the intention behind the piece, which is so specific. And I think I probably worried a lot more about this question of, how do you write like the the mental puzzle of how do you write from the write in write in a language of write in a language that the character doesn't know and then how do you translate that i mean it's like it's the the a very interesting problem and i spent a lot of time with that one um, thank you and um david sur la question de la traduction justement um, donc anna vient de nous répondre pour elle on a évoqué le fait que le roman a été traduit entre autres en allemand Est-ce que les traducteurs se tournent vers toi pour poser des questions? Dr. Seth notes that the text was also translated into German and asked David if the translators in any language ever turned to him for questions during the translation process. Mm. Uh, alors, oui. Uh, Anna m'a posé des questions. Uh, elle m'a envoyé des, des petites questions sur uh, uh, la compréhension de qu'elle pouvait avoir de tel ou tel passage et je lui ai répondu euh, et j'ai eu des questions en effet de, de, des traducteurs euh, le livre a été traduit maintenant en, en, en 13 langues donc euh, j'ai eu des, des questions de traducteurs chinois de, de traducteurs euh, serbes, slovènes euh, et, et c'est Et, et peut-être pour anticiper une question que tu vas poser, euh, les questions étaient très différentes. C'est-à-dire qu'il n'y avait pas de, de questions qui euh, concernaient systématiquement les mêmes passages. Et ça, c'est très intéressant parce que, dans le fond, euh, chaque langue porte avec elle un horizon culturel. Et peut-être qu'il y a des questions qui sont spécifiques à une langue quand elle se soucie d'une autre et quand elle souhaite la traduire. Donc, euh, euh, voilà, c'est assez frappant, euh, cet échange qu'on peut avoir avec des lecteurs, c'est très intéressant. Euh, par exemple, une anecdote en allemand, justement, on parlait de la traduction en allemand, il y a un, le traducteur, qui est vraiment aussi très bien, euh, m'a dit euh, « je ne peux pas euh, mettre doigt d'honneur », parce qu'à un moment donné, <rire> Il y a un personnage qui fait un doigt d'honneur. Il me dit, ça ressemble en fait à une période que nous, on associe aux Sex Pistols. 
euh, et, et ça, ne, ça ne rimerait à rien en fait, ça serait un gros anachronisme dans la situation où se trouve le personnage au moment où apparaît ce donneur. Et il m'a dit, on va essayer de traduire en allemand, alors c'est maintenant traduit du, de l'allemand au français, par « doigt de l'empereur ». Parce qu'à l'époque, à cette époque-là, en Allemagne, il mettait l'empereur à toutes les sauces. Et donc là, ça, ça pouvait fonctionner. Donc il y a vraiment la, la, la traduction, c'est vraiment une œuvre d'art en, en soi. C'est d'une complexité extraordinaire quand on essaie de faire coïncider des horizons culturels qui sont extrêmement irréductibles les uns aux autres. Et pour prolonger la réponse qu'a donnée tout à l'heure Anna, à la question que tu as posée sur la documentation. Euh, Moi-même, je me suis documenté pour écrire euh, Frère d'âme, pour envoyer à des épisodes, euh, pour, enfin pour savoir quelle était la vie des tirailleurs sénégalais, mais j'ai effacé cette documentation. C'est-à-dire que j'ai voulu inscrire le roman dans, dans, dans un espace-temps qui n'était pas reconnaissable. Ce n'est pas la, le chemin des dames, ce n'est pas la bataille de la Marne, c'est une sorte de, de no man's land. Euh, et j'ai voulu éviter justement de, de, de placer trop précisément l'action dans un, un lieu précis. Mr. Diop says, yes, translators always turn to him with a lot of very small questions about very specific passages. The book At Night All Blood is Black itself has been translated into 13 languages, and each language has its own set of cultural horizons and challenges, Chinese, Serbian, Slovenian, etc. A funny example for At Night All Blood is Black was his use of a soldier giving the middle finger in one sequence. In German culture, that gesture has less connotation of obscenity and more connotation with the musical period when the English punk rock band The Sex Pistols were prominent. He said all this simply reinforces his view of translation as its own separate work of literary art based on, but distinct from, the original work, given all the extraordinary complexities of getting all the various cultural horizons to coincide. Although he said he went to creative lengths to give the text of At Night All Blood is Black in its original French a sort of cultural, literary no-man's land that felt commensurate with the World War I landscape. Alors, alors tu réponds en effet à ma question que je ne t'avais pas encore posée, mais tu confirmes aussi quelque chose que je crois profondément, et, et Flaubert en est le meilleur exemple, c'est que lorsque les écrivains se sont documentés et effacent ensuite les strates de documentation, le texte porte la force de cette documentation qui a été euh, effacée mais qui est encore présente quelque part. Donc euh, voilà qui vient le confirmer. Dr. Seth references the literary style of 19th century French novelist Gustave Flaubert, who, she says, used historical and culturally specific documentation to scaffold a narrative, and then erased the documentation from the narrative in the final draft. The documentation was gone, but the narrative itself still carried its force and strength and credibility. For those who are joining us, this is a February 2021 interview with French Senegalese author Mr. David Jop and his English translator Miss Anna Moskovakis, both winners of the United Kingdom's 2021 International Booker Prize for his 2020 novel, At Night All Blood is Black. The moderator for this interview is Dr. Catriona Seth from Oxford University. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. And Anna, um, may I ask you whether any specific problems you encountered, whether real difficulties which you can remember? There were so many, um, but you know, because one of the things I immediately loved about this book and that did make me feel like maybe I can translate it was the repetition, the use of repetition and recursion throughout, which is a um, musicality that I feel very connected to. Um, and so of course, some of the problems were, there's a phrase that's repeated 
30 or 50 times in the book. So you have to get it right because you have to, you know, you can't just be like, well, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do what I can and then move on. So those ones were, were challenging and really um, God's truth was um, was one of the hardest ones. And, and, you know, I, I, I was, I mentioned earlier that I, um, yeah, get, because it's not, a, it's not quite idiom, idiomatic. Um, you know, I w- that was a case where I did a lot of sort of research and asked everyone I knew who spoke French and asked, you know, is this, um, is this sort of an idiom in French, you know, and um, anyway, figuring out how to say how to, how, whether it should be by God's truth or by the truth of God, or, you know, I mean, I just tried every single one and um, sort of surprised surprised myself by settling on, on, on what I did. But, um, but I think it, I just, just listening to that audiobook and hearing it in the, in the mouth of um, Dion Graham, I thought, oh, you know, I think it really works. <laughs> I think I heard it right. <laughs> but that was probably one of the hardest ones. Um, and then there were several um, um, descriptors that where I was having to decide, for instance, like um, joking relationship in this description of, um, of the brother, the brother Lee, though not um, re- related, uh, re- very comp- complicated cultural signification, and and there are technical terms with from anthropology and not knowing how technical to get or how to sort of uh, transmit the meaning without suddenly switching into textbook language. Those those types of things popped up here and there. So. I think that's a really helpful um, answer. Thank you, Anna. Uh, and particularly the fact that something which might seem so simple, par la vérité de Dieu, can become absolutely crucial, that it's not necessarily the complicated words, because often if there's a complicated technical word, it'll work in a similar way um, and have similar connotations. But then suddenly the idiomatic, or in this case, not quite idiomatic use um, is something incredibly difficult uh, to, to, to get. Um, and David, you look as though you wanted to add something to that. Yes, by the verity of God, it's the traduction of an expression that exists in Wolof. Yes, exactly. No, it's exactly. So, in fact, it's the traduction of a traduction that has made Anna. And it's very complicated. In fact, I can understand. By the verity of God, really, ça peut être dit d'une façon, puisque la religion euh, dominante au Sénégal, c'est, c'est, euh, c'est l'islam. Ça peut être dit euh, d'une façon qui peut être comprise par, euh, par des gens qui connaissent le livre, mais ça peut être dit aussi en Wolof d'une certaine façon. Et donc là, j'ai choisi la, 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 la formule en Wolof pour la traduire en français. Et donc euh, ensuite, les traducteurs se retrouvent à traduire une expression euh, dont il ne voit en fait que la face française, en fait la, la, la dimension euh, linguistique euh, en français, alors que celle-là, elle est soutenue par une autre expression qu'ils ne connaissent pas. Et c'est ça qui est, qui est, euh, euh, qui est peut-être, euh, peut-être que c'était mieux que, que vous, tu ne le, vous ne le sachiez pas, Anna, en fait. David interjects that the phrase God's truth is an idiom before a statement actually exists in the Wolof language and culture the same as it does in some dialects of colloquial English. He says it's common because the dominant religion in Senegal is Islam. Another example he says of the brilliance of Anna's translation and professional translation in general. Well, you know, yes, I I am... I think at some point I did learn that. I may have asked you or I may have um, oh, yeah, deduced it. Yeah. I think at the very last, last minute or maybe at some point. 
But I think what was clear to me was that it had to sound like to the character, it was, it was a natural part of the language the character was thinking in, but not be part of a natural part of the language that the reader is reading in. And so just what you're saying, you know, was the challenge. C'est créer un effet d'étrangeté avec des mots courants. C'est ça la difficulté pour la traduction. Ce qui est aussi un petit peu ce que fait ce roman, pour la mesure où, comme tu le disais, c'est du français, théoriquement c'est le français d'un non-français, d'un non-francophone. Donc il y avait déjà cette dimension, je crois, qui qui se, se percevait très, très clairement. Both David and Dr. Seth confirm the duality of the main character Alpha Indai as thinking in Wolof but speaking in French. For those who joining us, this is a February 2021 interview with French Senegalese author Mr. David Diop and his English translator Miss Anna Moskovakis, both winners of the United Kingdom's 2021 International Booker Prize for his 2020 novel, At Night All Blood is Black. The moderator for this interview is Dr. Catriona Seth from Oxford University. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. J'aimerais aussi peut-être que tu dises deux mots, David, donc de, de, de ce personnage et de de son approche du monde et euh, de, de cette rencontre euh, avec la violence, au fond, avec une violence qui n'est pas celle qu'il attend. Dr. Seth asked Mr. Diop his thoughts on the main character's interactions with violence, and it being a violence he did not set out to find either around himself or within himself, despite traveling to the front lines of a war. Mm -hmm. euh, alors, j'ai voulu euh, déjà euh, créer un personnage qui... Euh, manifesterait toute la complexité euh, de, ses, de ses pensées sans frein linguistique. C'est-à-dire que si j'avais voulu faire vrai, j'aurais pu faire parler ce soldat en petit nègre. Le petit nègre, c'est ce français euh, qui a moins été euh, inventé par les Africains eux-mêmes que par euh, l'armée française pour se faire comprendre assez rapidement. On m'a offert un livre, d'ailleurs, qui date de 1916 où, euh, et qui a été euh, édité par, par l'armée française. Et, et dans ce livre, ce livre s'intitule « Comment enseigner le, le français aux au tirailleurs sénégalais ?» Et, et, la, et, et la, le, la base du raisonnement de celui qui a écrit ce livre, c'était que les langues africaines étaient d'une telle simplicité euh, d'une telle pauvreté par rapport à, à l'excellence du français qu'il fallait euh, simplifier ce français pour qu'il soit manipulé par les tirailleurs sénégalais. Donc, j'ai vraiment souhaité que mon personnage, euh, on puisse comprendre que c'était un, un homme qui, bien qu'il ne soit pas instruit, pouvait aller très loin dans la réflexion sur son rapport au monde, à la guerre et à la complexité de la vie. Donc euh, déjà, ça, ça a été euh, un point de départ, euh, pour moi, important. Il fallait que le personnage puisse traduire des choses complexes dans une langue euh, qui n'était qu'une traduction de ses pensées, euh, dans le fond. Hein. Mais pas une langue, si tu veux, limitée par euh, euh, ce qu'aurait offert un contexte historique euh, appauvrissant. Et ce personnage-là, je voulais aussi qu'il soit... Euh, déjà un personnage troublé, un personnage ambigu, un personnage qui aurait une faille euh, primordiale. Et euh, je, dans la partie du roman où euh, je construis euh, l'enfance de ce personnage, je 
propose un personnage qui euh, euh, associe euh, par son père euh, l'immobilité et par sa mère euh, la mobilité, puisque j'en fais en quelque sorte le, un métis, euh, un métis entre euh, une ethnie qui est plutôt ancrée dans le sol, dans la, dans la culture des terres, et une autre ethnie, celle des peuls, qui est celle des nomades, des pasteurs. Donc je voulais que ce personnage-là soit déjà déphasé avant d'arriver sur le, le théâtre de la guerre, pour justement euh, faire de ce personnage celui qui arriverait à euh, renvoyer le lecteur, et moi avant, peut-être auparavant, à, à une réflexion sur le, la limite entre l'humain et l'inhumain. Euh, j'ai essayé de, de, de faire que ce personnage qui était en plein désarroi, qui avait été traumatisé par la perte de son plus que frère dès le début du roman, euh, soit conduit à, à reconduire cette scène traumatique liminaire euh, à de nombreuses reprises et à montrer qu'il n'arrivait pas à sortir de, cette, de ce traumatisme-là. Et euh, donc, il fallait que ce personnage... Euh, eh bien, euh, pour renvoyer, au lecteur, euh, renvoyer le lecteur à des questions sur la, la limite entre l'inhumain et l'inhumain, il fallait un personnage euh, fragile, enfin pas fragile, mais je veux dire souffrant, en quelque sorte déjà. David says he felt the emotional complexity of violence and of Alpha's specific violence of revenge was necessary to pull at the emotional depth of the character. He mentions that the predominantly white European French army actually invented a language of quote-unquote simple French they felt would make it easier to communicate with the Senegalese soldiers in the trenches in World War I, which was based on a colonial, altogether racist assumption by French society that African languages were both emotionally and linguistically poor. The assumption, probably still at work in some areas of French society, would probably assume that Alpha lacked depth. His descent into revenge, however, and his spiritual fracturing therein, brings his depth out in a very unsettling way. The character's backstory itself in the text, with a childhood where one parent is physically handicapped and the other is not, also adds to this tension and depth, and with it the entire French-African colonial experience, including Mr. Giap's own life, one that still entails feelings of fragility and suffering. Merci. And Anna, so this character who is at once strong, violent, um, and yet, as David has just said, somebody who, who is marked by a sort of inner flaw, by a form um, of suffering. How, how does he come across? Um, how, what linguistically, in a sense, um, sets him apart and characterizes him? Well, first of all, I, I just want to say how incredible it was to hear um, to hear you describe your thinking about his language, Debbie, because and the and and why why you would resist having his linguistics his linguistic expression be limited by an externally imposed kind of um, oversimplified you know version of of French. I think it's really it's so complex, this character is so complex. Um, and there is an incredible um, beauty to the articulation of his evolution, his moral evolution, or his or his sort of um, uh, um, wrestling with, <laughs> with, um, with, uh, with 
his impossible choices in, in the, you know, in the, in the situation that he's found himself. So I would, I would say that there's a, a, a way in which, um, in which the material beauty of language and thought <laughs> um, are, 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 um, are at their, like are turned up to the top of the dial, you know, throughout the entire book because everything is at stake all the time. And, and so the, the, the fact that um, when, when he goes back and, and tells the stories of the child of his childhood, and then when we see him relaying the stories again in, um, uh, in sort of the situation of, of, the, of the, the place he's gone to be repaired, <laughs> um, it's like in a way a respite for us, for the reader from being in in that relentless you know there's a little bit of sort of a, a, a new a new um, a, a different landscape we're back in you know in the village and we get to be somewhere else besides in the head on the field with the you know but no but there's it's always um, an intensity of of precise thought um, about what is most at stake about being a human. So I just think it's, it's incredibly, I don't know, precise, I guess, would be the, the, the term that, that overlaid it for me. Je suis sensible à ce qu'Anna euh, vient de dire sur le fait qu'on a effectivement, on a parlé des répétitions qui structurent le récit, qui donnent cette force au langage, mais aussi ces formes de cycles qui font qu'il y a des moments d'intensité, mais d'intensité différente, d'intensité qui, qui, qui porte effectivement sur le souvenir d'enfance euh, où, où on retourne vers, vers une vie plus, plus complète quelque part et l'intensité après de la faille, de la mort du plus que frère, euh, la violence. Donc c'est cette espèce de, de, de contrepoint qui se, qui se crée dans le roman. Dr. Seth injects that she is sensitive to what Anna just said and that the narrative's repetitive structure and themes continue to drive the reader back to a starting point, which is in many ways what traumas in the present often are, returns to traumas at one starting point in childhood. For those who are joining us, this is a February 2021 interview with French Senegalese author Mr. David Jopp and his English translator Miss Anna Moskovakis, both winners of the United Kingdom's 2021 International Booker Prize for his 2020 novel, At Night All Blood is Black. The moderator for this interview is Dr. Catriona Seth from Oxford University. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Oui, il y a une volonté de créer une sorte de circularité. En fait, quand je m'imagine s'il faut schématiser la progression de l'intrigue, je vois quelque chose comme, quelque chose comme de sinusoïdal, tu vois, avec des, des retours et des redémarrages, des retours et des redémarrages. Et, et comme je disais tout à l'heure, il n'arrive pas à se sortir de, de, ce, de, cette, de ce traumatisme initial. Ça revient sans cesse. Et... Euh, Et donc, forcément, en effet, il y a ce retour du même qui est soutenu par un travail sur le, le rythme du français aussi, par la vérité de Dieu et indéfiniment répété, beaucoup répété. Et d'ailleurs, l'éditeur me disait, Frédéric Mora, qui est mon éditeur chez ça, me disait « mais tu m'en enlèves un peu, c'est par la vérité de Dieu ». là. J'ai dit « oui, j'en ai enlevé, on a beaucoup bataillé ». Et je crois que sur 175 pages, j'en ai enlevé un. Donc, <rire> il y a eu vraiment des discussions. Et je lui disais, et c'est une façon de répondre à ta question, Catriona, 
je lui disais, mais ce, par la vérité de Dieu, il, a, il est là pour ponctuer aussi des moments d'intensité émotionnelle assez forts. Le personnage s'appuie sur cette béquille de langage, en fait, pour, pour dire son émotion très forte à, à certains moments. Donc, ça renvoie pas euh, à simplement... Ça renvoie aussi, euh, cette, cette formule, à euh, ce temps où le personnage échangeait avec ses proches et pouvait dire d'une façon indifférente ce par la vérité de Dieu sans que ce soit nécessairement une référence à une forme de religiosité, à, à une pratique religieuse. Il y a des mots comme ça euh, euh, qu'on dit qui servent en fait de béquille et, et lui a besoin, est en perpétuel déséquilibre, et, et il se sert de cette expression comme d'une béquille. David says it was always his intention to create a kind of circularity within the text itself. In many ways, the main character Alpha is constantly being rebooted, both mind, body, and soul. The editors, however, got a little tired of passages starting with quote-unquote God's truth and asked him to cut it down a little bit. The circularity also represents the limitations of the character in that he was constantly being forced to start over and over and over again. The repetition of God's truth really had little religiosity to it and served more as a punctuation of emotional moments and also as an J'espère que, que ces réflexions aideront les uns et les autres aussi à penser leur manière d'utiliser le langage. En, en tout cas, Dr. Chess says that ultimately she hopes everyone finds this discussion a good personal reflection on the power of language. Merci beaucoup, euh, David. Merci beaucoup, euh, Anna, pour euh, cette séance. I think everybody will have enjoyed this discussion very much. And If you haven't read it, go and read At Night or Blood is Black. Allez lire, frère dame. And we very much look forward to having other occasions to welcome you, hopefully in person, to Oxford. So thank you all and à bientôt. Merci, Catriona. Au revoir, Anna. Au revoir, merci. This is Read and Succeed. I'm Dave Campbell. That's it for episode 23 of Read and Succeed. Join us for episode 24, reviewing the 2021 Pulitzer Prize winner Wilmington's Lie, The Murderous Coup of 1898, and The Rise of White Supremacy by American journalist David Sacchino. This is Read and Succeed. I'm Dave Campbell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>